For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's pray together. Father, again we come before You as we are gathered together as Your people, as the body of Christ, as the church. As we seek now to hear from You, from Your words that are set before us here in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 1 to 6. Father, as we walk through these verses together, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would take these words and you would apply these wonderful truths to our hearts. That we would know them truly and genuinely. That we would accept them and receive them with glad hearts. Father, we always ask for this. That we would always, when we come to Your Word, receive what You have for us with joy, with gladness ready to have them apply to our own life. Father, may You be with me as I seek to preach these things to Your people, and may You be with them as they listen. May You fill us with Your Holy Spirit and enable us to treat Your Word with great care. And may the Lord Jesus Christ and all of the things that are said here this morning receive all of the glory. May He be made much of as we go through this passage together. And finally, Lord, I ask that we would all know truly the freedom that Christ has set us free for that Paul puts before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's what Paul tells us here in verse 1 of chapter 5. And oh, that we would let that beautiful truth sink deep within our own hearts as we hear it. May it sink deep into our hearts and may it sink deep into our minds. As we come to chapter 5 and read this glorious truth, I want you to think back with me for a moment to what Paul has been doing in the letter up until this point. Because it's no coincidence that he begins this part of the letter the way that he does. So what are we meant to see and what are we meant to understand by him doing this? By him beginning chapter 5 with saying, For freedom, Christ has set you free. 
Now, I think most of you will remember that the letter can be broken up into three sections. Chapters 1 and 2, 3 and 4, and then chapters 5 and 6. Those being the three sections, and each section building off of the other. You may remember that I've been kind of mentioning that here and there as we've gone through each of these sections, as we've gone from chapters 1 and 2 and then entered into chapters 3 and 4. I talked about this a little bit here and there as we went through them. So anyways, in chapters 1 and 2, now think back to that section, that first section there, chapters 1 and 2. There, Paul was primarily defending himself and the gospel. He was showing the Galatians that his apostolic authority and his gospel message were given to him by God and not man. Also, he was showing the Galatians that he doesn't seek to please man, but that he ultimately seeks to please God in all that he does and all that he says. And all of that was foundational, right? That was foundational material, which is why he started with those truths. Those truths showed the Galatians, and they show us that Paul speaks with the authority of God and proclaims the one and only message of salvation, which also came from God. Therefore, the Galatians and us cannot just blow Paul off as if he was just coming up with this stuff on his own. Chapters two, or excuse me, chapters one and two then paved the way for chapters three and four, where Paul then expanded upon and then explained from the scriptures what the gospel is all about. So you can see how chapters one and two then led to chapters three and four, having that foundational material laid and then using it to launch into what he was talking about in chapters 3 and 4. Showing us that the gospel makes us right with God or justifies us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, which results in God receiving all of the glory and not man, not us. And not only have we been justified before God through the gospel, but we have also been set free from the slavery that comes through the demands of law. And we have also been adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters, heirs to all the promises of God. All of that Paul showed us in chapters 3 and 4. And now, as we come to the third and final section of the letter, chapters 5 and 6, Paul summarizes all of those great and glorious truths of the gospel by saying what we see here in the first part of verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The truth of the gospel is true freedom. So Paul calls the gospel freedom in order to summarize all of the things that he was saying in chapters 3 and 4. And he also calls the gospel freedom in order to prepare us for what 
he is about to do here in chapter 5 and also in chapter 6 as well, which is call us to Christian living, godly living, Christ-like living, or you could say gospel-shaped living. He's going to call us to those things within the next couple of chapters. Within chapter 5 and within chapter 6, Paul is going to start applying the gospel to our lives. He's going to be showing us how we are called to live as Christians now that we have come to know this glorious freedom. So do you see why it's so important that Paul puts the truth of freedom here where he does at the beginning of chapter 5? Do you see that importance? It's important... Because without knowing and understanding this true gospel freedom, there is no gospel-shaped living. There is no living like Christ until you first know and understand the freedom that He gives. That's why Paul structures the letter the way that he does. And if you were to read the other letters of Paul, you would see something similar. Think about the the letter to the Romans, for example. If you were to read Paul's letter to the Romans, you would see that there are 11 chapters that talk about and expand, like he does here in Galatians, the gospel. In the first 11 chapters, Paul does nothing but talk about the gospel and what it means for the Romans and what it means for us. And then in chapter 12, he says... I appeal to you, brothers, according to the mercies of God, or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing what he says there. But you see what he does. He lays out the truth of the gospel, and then in chapter 12 he says, because of that, because of everything that I've just shown you in all of these chapters, I appeal to you therefore, because of the mercies of God, because of everything that God has done for you, I now appeal to you to live like Christ. Not on the basis of your own works, but on the basis of the gospel. Or as Paul says here in Galatians, on on the basis of the freedom that He has given to you in the gospel. So before we can be like Christ or live like Christ, we first need the freedom that comes through the truth of the gospel. Now, before we move on to the warnings that Paul is about to give in the next few verses, I want to first show you five crucial things that Christ in the gospel has set us free from, which then results in true freedom. And my goal in doing this and bringing up these five crucial things is I really just want to get across the weight of what true freedom looks like. Because we throw the word freedom around a lot, don't we? I mean, we use that word a lot. We talk about freedom a lot, especially as Americans here here in America. We talk about freedom a lot. I mean, it's in our national anthem. Land of the free, home of the brave. But what does true freedom look like? 
So what I want to get across to you with these five crucial things that Christ in the gospel sets us free from, which then results in true freedom. So number one, the first crucial thing that Christ in the gospel sets us free from. Christ has set us free from the law, speaking of the Mosaic law or the law of God. And I bring this one up first because this is what Paul has been primarily talking about throughout this letter, right? He has been continually trying to show the Galatians that as Christians in Christ are no longer bound or underneath the law of God. Its commandments, its laws, they no longer bound the Galatians. They have been set free from them. Christ has set us free from the law. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because of Christ, We as Christians no longer have to worry about the demands of the law. For Christ has fulfilled them, fulfilled them for us. There is no longer a crushing weight from commands that we cannot keep. Jesus has bore that weight for us. He has set us free from the law. Number two. Christ has set us free from the wrath of God. This is our main problem as human beings. Because the wrath of God is the main consequence that all those who fail to obey the law deserve. This is the main consequence which all of us have disobeyed. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We have all failed to fully and completely obey God's law, which is the standard of perfection. Jesus Christ, He summarized the law how? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it looks like to obey God's law. Perfection. You want to be perfect? It's what the standard of perfection looks like. And none of us have done that. Therefore, your main consequence, your main punishment, my main punishment, the main punishment of every person who has ever been born except for one is the wrath of God being poured out upon our head. And I would point you to to Romans chapters 1 to 3 to to see that truth, that you have all, that we have all failed to do that. Paul makes that very clear in Romans chapters 1 to 3. We have all fallen short of God's glory. There is not one person who has not fallen short, except for Christ, of course. But Jesus Christ has freed us from this punishment. He has freed us from the consequence of the wrath of God. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? 
by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus Christ was crucified and He was hung on a tree in order to bear the wrath of God for us on your behalf. On the tree, Jesus Christ took the wrath of God for you. He became a curse for you. He has set us free from the wrath of God. Number three, Christ has set us free from death. This is the other consequence of disobeying God and His law. We all deserve to die. The penalty of disobeying God and disobeying His law is not only that you deserve His wrath, His righteous judgment, but you deserve to die. And we see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 or in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Whenever God put Adam and Eve in the garden and He told them that they could eat of every fruit of every tree except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they ate of that fruit, He told them what? In that day you will surely die. To disobey God and to reject Him is to receive death. And that's what happens when you reject the source of life, which is who God is. He is the source, the fountain of all life. So to disobey Him, to reject Him, to to attempt to remove yourself from Him and His, His commandments, His rules, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get death. You remove yourself from the presence of life. There is nothing but death. This is the other consequence of disobeying God and His law. You deserve to die. This is why death entered into the world in the first place when Adam and Eve disobeyed and rejected God. Through Christ, however, there is new life. And again, I go back to Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is why Christ had to die. Not only did He bear the penalty of God's wrath, but He bore the penalty of death, which is why He was crucified to the point of death. He took the death, He bore the death, He received the death, the death that you and I deserve to die. Now, you and I, if we live long enough, we'll still die. We will still experience physical death. But death is no longer something to be feared. It is no, some, it is no longer something that leads into darkness or away from the presence of God's goodness from His goodness. No, death now leads into the presence of God. It now leads into the presence of His goodness. Into the presence of Christ. Christ has taken death and turned it into something that once was to be feared to something that can now, in a strange way, be embraced. 
Because through it, you receive eternal life. Jesus Christ, whenever He brought Lazarus back from the grave, you remember Lazarus, whenever he had died and he had been in the tomb four days, I believe, and he was about to raise Lazarus up, he told Mary that if any man believe in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus Christ has set us free from death. Number four, Christ has set us free from sin and the guilt that comes along with it. Romans 8, chapters 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and of death. In Christ we have been set free from sin and the guilt that comes along with it. Jesus Christ has paid it all. He has paid for all of your sin. Therefore you are now no longer guilty. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has removed it all. God is no longer angry with us. He's no longer angry with you if you are in Christ. No, now instead God looks upon you with favor and He works all things for your good. This is not only a, a truth that you preach to yourself one time, but it's something that you continually preach to yourself throughout all of life. You receive this truth and you preach it to yourself in a way because you have been freed from the penalty of sin. And what I'm talking about there is that when Christ saves you or when you come to know the gospel, He initially frees you from your sin and He initially frees you from all of the condemnation that was on you at that point in time. But this is something that He continually does. Because in this life anyways, we continually sin because the flesh is still present, the unsanctified parts of our, of our being. We continually fail in this life. We, we sin and, and guilt comes along with that, right? You sin, you feel guilty because of it. But the gospel continually brings good news to the ears of the Christian. Again and again and again, you can say to yourself, yes, I am still a sinner, I still fail, but Christ has paid for all of my sin. Past, present, and future. They are all paid for. There is no condemnation, there is no guilt anymore. He has paid for all of it. Which is free. Truly free. You don't have to walk around thinking about the horrible things that you may have done before you became a Christian. You know, the ways that those things tend to 
nip at you, I guess, or bite at you, constantly bringing themselves up and trying to make you feel horrible or to feel guilty about them, trying to make you feel less of a Christian or whatever that may look like, or Satan himself trying to bring those things up before you, trying to bring discouragement upon you, you're set free from that. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is no guilt that can stick to you that Christ has not washed away in His blood. Number five. Christ has set us free from the bondage of Satan. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, and He's talking about Christ here, because we as human beings are flesh and blood. Christ Himself came, was born in the likeness of man. He took part in flesh and blood, and then He died talking about the crucifixion. So He partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ has freed you. He has freed us from the power of of Satan. He is no longer our master. He has transferred us from the domain of darkness and He has brought us into His marvelous light. And this is what true freedom looks like. This is the freedom that Christ has set us free for. And I want to be very clear in saying that you cannot have true freedom if you are enslaved to any of the things that I just mentioned, any of those five things, you cannot have true freedom if the wrath of God still lingers over your head. You cannot have true freedom if you are still bound to the obligations of God's law. You cannot have true freedom if... Death still lingers over you. You cannot have true freedom if you are still enslaved to sin and to guilt. You cannot have true freedom if you are still enslaved to Satan. Oh, you may think that you are free, and you may proclaim that you are free, but you have been fooled. You have been blinded by the lies of Satan. And again, I want you to think of our own country that we live in here in America. You think about America for a moment. The, the number of Americans that boldly and proudly proclaim we are free. We are a free people. We declare and proclaim our freedom to the rest of the world. And we do this for, for good reason. I don't want to diminish or to make little of our freedom. Our, our freedom that we have here in this country 
is a great blessing from God. Don't be mistaken, God has given us our freedom here in America. It has come from Him. But this is a temporary freedom. This is not what true freedom looks like. Because the majority of the Americans that so proudly and boldly proclaim freedom are in fact slaves. And they are slaves in the way that I just described. You think about the the LGBT nation and their their freedom that they proclaim, right? You know, freedom to them is you are free to do whatever you want. You are free to to say or you are free to be whoever you want to be. You are free to you know, create your own identity or all of these things. To them, that is freedom. That's what freedom looks like to them. I can do whatever I want. But yet, they're, they're enslaved, aren't they? There is story after story that I have read, and I'm sure some of you have read, that people, when they receive this type of freedom, they're just disappointed in the end because it does not bring about what it promised. You know, they boldly proclaim this freedom that would make them happy or that would bring them satisfaction, but yet when they get it, when they receive it, whenever they change their sexual identity or whenever they finally embrace homosexuality or whatever it is, they're still disappointed. And they still feel very much like a slave. And it's because that's not true freedom. True freedom is not ultimately just doing what you want to do and creating your own rules, your own regulations, or whatever. True freedom is being able to joyfully and freely submit to the will of God. And you're not going to get that unless you find it in Christ and in Him alone. Now, the, the warnings that Paul gives to the Galatians and to us, if we turn and reject this glorious freedom, he says in the second part of verse 1, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You may read that and think, what do you mean stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery? I mean, you actually have to tell people that? You have to tell them not to go back to slavery? You have to tell people not to submit once again to a yoke of slavery? Yes. As crazy as it sounds, there are people who turn from this glorious freedom all of the time. Think about the Israelites. If you've been coming to our Sunday school classes, this is something that you've been seeing a lot of here lately. You remember what God set the Israelites free from. He had brought them out of Egypt where they were physically enslaved to the Egyptians, right? The Egyptians were brutally using them as 
slave laborers to do Pharaoh's bidding, to build his his idols, his statues, or, or whatever projects he had going on there. Well, God had set them free from that. He had led them out with great and mighty works from Egypt and into the promised land. But what was something that they constantly did even after God had released them from this slavery? They constantly moaned and groaned and desired to go back, didn't they? As they wandered through the wilderness, when something didn't go as they thought it should go, they would say, oh, that we could go back to Egypt. And you're just thinking the whole time, how stupid can you be? How dumb can you guys be? How foolish can you be? You were enslaved in Egypt. They treated you brutally there. They whipped you. They beat you so that you would do their work. But yet they constantly wanted to go back to that because they thought about the food that they ate there, the so-called comforts that they had while they were in Egypt. They constantly sought to turn and to reject the glorious freedom that God had given them. And we can easily act just like them. We don't necessarily groan and grumble and mumble to go back to Egypt, you know, to a physical form of slavery. But what what has Christ set us free from as Christians? He has set us free from the ultimate form of slavery, right? Which is sin. And Satan, as I mentioned a moment ago. But still, we have our moments of weakness like the Israelites where we think back to the the Egypt of our sin, you could say. We think back to the sin that we were once enslaved to and we say, oh, it was so good. I enjoyed it. I would like to go back and experience some of it just for a little bit. We're not so different. This is why Paul calls out to the Galatians and this is why he calls out to us and he says, stand firm in the freedom of Christ and do not go back to slavery. Do not submit once again to a yoke of slavery. But how do we do that? How do we stand firm in our freedom? How do we stand firm in the the freedom of the gospel and the freedom of Christ? I think the author of Hebrews spells it out pretty clear for us. I think he gives us a good example of how to stand firm in our freedom. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He writes there... Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and he's talking there about chapter 11, where he had just laid out all of these great figures in the Old Testament who, through their faith in God's promises, stood firm in their freedom. You could say they stood firm in the promises of God by their faith that they had in God's promises. So in light of 
All of the examples that he just laid out in chapter 11, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, like their example that they give, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now this is key, what he says next. This is the foundation that it is all built upon. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The way that you stand firm in gospel freedom is by continually looking to the one who gives it, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the author of Hebrews says, look to Jesus for He is the founder and He is the perfecter of our faith, of our freedom. If you are looking to Jesus if you continually cast your eyes upon Him, then you will stand firm, for He will hold you fast and He will not let you go. But if you begin to look to something else besides Jesus, or if you begin to look to Jesus plus something else, then you are in great danger as Paul says, of being cut off from this freedom. And that was the danger that the Galatians were in. So Paul warns them by saying in verse 2, he says, look, look Galatians, look, I, Paul. And I want you to think for a moment about Paul's name there. I want you to think about the weight that comes behind that name now. Going back to chapters 1 and 2, everything that he told us about himself, when he laid out that biography of how he is a true apostle, given authority by God. He speaks the one true gospel message and he does not seek the, the pleasure of men or to please man, but to please ultimately his Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we saw in chapter 4, He is Paul who genuinely loves these Christians. And He genuinely loves and cares for you as well. So this Paul says these things. Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. The Galatians were about to stop looking to Jesus and to Him alone for their salvation and their freedom. But Paul is oh so clear with them, isn't he? 
He tells them that if he, if they, excuse me, if they accept circumcision as a means of justification, right standing before God, they will be cut off from Christ and they will also be cut off from the freedom that He gives. Now, let me be clear in saying once again that this does not mean that Paul is referring to loss of salvation. Paul is not talking about the fact that someone can lose their salvation. He's not saying that. He is not saying that someone can lose their salvation. And I brought that up, uh, I think it was the middle of chapter 4, we were looking at it there. The Galatians would be cut off from Christ and they would be cut off from their freedom in the sense that they would begin to look to something else. And they would therefore separate themselves from the gospel where freedom, where salvation is found. And so they would then show that they were never Christians in the first place. That they, that they had never truly grabbed hold of or that they had never truly grasped what this freedom was about. That's the way that they would cut themselves off. That's the way that they would fall from grace. They would look to something else and therefore they would separate themselves from this freedom. I'm not going to go to these other passages, but I will give them to you if you would like to look them up for your own benefit. Other passages that talk about the truth that when someone is truly in Christ they cannot lose the freedom or the salvation that is given there. You can find this in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30. You can find it also in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 to 30. And in the last passage, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. So in those passages, you will all find truths that speak about the Christian not being able to lose their salvation. Now, why is that? Why would they, the Galatians, be cut off from Christ and from freedom if they were to accept circumcision? First, just going in the order that I asked that question, the Galatians would be cut off from Christ if they accepted circumcision because here it is being used as a form of works-based righteousness. In other words, in accepting circumcision, the Galatians would be believing that their works contributed to their salvation. But Paul tells them that if they do this, they are then obligated to keep the whole law. You see, there is no mixing your works with the work of Christ. No, as soon as you begin to put forth your own works, you put yourself under the realm of law-keeping. And the standard to be kept, as I was talking about a moment ago, is perfection. That's why Paul says in verse 2, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Because, I, because as he says in verse 4, the Galatians would have separated themselves from Christ by now seeking to be justified by the law. You cannot have both. 
for they are opposed to each other. To trust in Christ is to forsake your own works, all of them. But to trust in Christ, excuse me, so to trust in Christ is to forsake your own works, all of them. But to trust in your own works is to say that you do not need Christ at all. Because you can earn your own justification, right? What do you need Christ for? If you can earn it, then you don't need His life, you don't need His death, you don't need His resurrection. You can do it yourself. So it's either Christ and Christ alone, or it's no Christ at all. The second part of that question that I asked, how... So how would the Galatians be cut off from Christ and then how would the Galatians be cut off from freedom? The Galatians would be cut off from freedom. They would cut themselves off from freedom if they accepted circumcision because there is no freedom in law-keeping. Again, as Paul has been showing us in this letter, the law says, do this and do that. It gives commands that ultimately you cannot keep. So you are just left failing over and over again while you work to accomplish what cannot be accomplished. There is no freedom found there. There's no freedom found in the Mosaic Law. Just as there is no freedom found within our own standards of law our own expectations that we can put upon ourselves or on other people. I'll give you an example of this. So last Sunday, I, I wasn't here, I was sick. And that morning, I was laid out on the couch and before my wife left, before Kelly left, she turned on the TV and she was watching the, the Sunday edition of CBS, I think, something like that the St. Patrick's Day edition. Well, on that, that edition of the news, that Sunday morning edition, they had a segment about this girl. You may, have, you may have seen it if you were watching it. They had a segment about this girl who had committed suicide. And her parents had no idea that she was thinking about that. Because as far as they could tell, she was very successful. She was a very smart girl, very successful in school, straight-A student, and had a very prominent future before her as far as college and job opportunities, things like that. She had all of those things coming to her. And she seemed very happy. But all of the while, she had this diary that she was confiding in. And she would say things in this diary like, you're not good enough. Basically, she would just say horrible things about herself. That she could not live up to the expectations that she was setting before herself. That she was worthless because she made this mistake or got this question wrong or whatever. But do you see what she was doing? She was putting on herself expectations or a law that she could not keep. And it resulted in huge discouragement. So much discouragement that she thought it would be better to die than to live. And so she jumped off of a bridge. And she 
killed herself. And as I was watching that segment on the news, I just kept thinking to myself, you know, I wonder if this girl had ever heard the gospel. I wonder if she had ever genuinely heard the good news of what Christ has done for her or had accomplished on her behalf if she would have just trusted in Him and in His work. I wonder if she had ever heard the words of Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set you free. Or these words of Christ where He says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. You know, I wonder what the difference would have been if she would have truly and genuinely known those words, those truths. And I want to bring that to you as well because we can so easily do the same things, right? We could so easily put these crushing expectations or form of law upon ourselves that we think we have to keep to be pleasing before God or be pleasing before other people. And it can bring you to the point of depression or even to the point of suicide like the example that I just mentioned. But listen to the words of Christ and listen to the words of Paul. For freedom Christ has set you free. Alt's Chapel, in Christ, we have been given rest. We do not have to worry about bringing our works and our accomplishments before God for our acceptance, for our freedom has been purchased for us by Jesus. Do you know that freedom? As Christians, we are not called to work and obtain our righteousness, but we are called to eagerly wait for it, which is what Paul says in verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We are not called to work to make ourselves righteousness now. Now what he means by that is that we are not called to work to make ourselves fully righteousness in our bodies. Now you are declared righteous right now before God. When God looks at you, you are righteous before His sight. But our works and our hearts and our minds are not fully righteous in this moment. We wait for that righteousness. We eagerly wait for it, as Paul says here. You don't work for it to accomplish it now. Christ will bring that when He comes back. And that's why Paul brings this up. He, he, he reminds us that we don't work for it, but through the power of the Spirit by faith, we wait eagerly for the hope of our righteousness. Now, this does not mean that Christians never do good works. No, we do good works. It's just the other way around. We do not do good works so that we will be declared righteous 
but because we have been declared righteous. We work because of the work that has been accomplished within us through Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 6, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, these forms of works, counts for anything but only faith working through love. The only thing that counts for anything is faith that works itself out through love, which is true faith. True faith in a person will work itself out through love. It will bear fruit. Not because that person seeks to be justified, but because they have been justified. And friends, this is just what it looks like when someone becomes a Christian or when they come to know Christ truly. You come to know Christ and you will be transformed. You will walk in freedom. This is just the result of coming to know Christ. It will happen. You cannot truly know Christ and these things not happen. You come to know Christ. He shows you true freedom. And the result is you then work because you have been set free. Because He gives you a new heart. Your mind is renewed by the truth of the Gospel and you then work. Slowly, yes, but you will surely walk in this freedom that Christ has set you free for. And as I mentioned earlier in the sermon, as we continue to walk through chapters 5 and 6, this is what Paul is going to begin to lay out and apply to our lives. Father, we come before You and we thank You for the great and glorious truth that for freedom, Christ has set us free. And as I asked a moment ago, I pray that everyone that sits before me knows this freedom. And if they do not, I pray that you would bring the words of Christ to them where Jesus calls everyone to Himself. Come to me, all who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May we genuinely know that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.